Well, first, I want to wish everyone a happy Father's Day, all you men, anyway. And uh, it's a great thing to have a day that we honor fathers, don't you think? It really is. And actually, Father's Day was begun uh, in 1909, and uh, Sonora Smart uh, was actually sitting in church listening to a Mother's Day message. And she was thinking, we need to honor fathers. And because of her situation, her um, mother died when she was just young. And her father just raised the whole family in such a godly way. And so for her, the idea that there is no time to honor him uh, bothered her. And so she's the one who first instituted uh, in their church and then pushed for it to become a national uh, holiday, Father's Day. One of the things that's interesting to me is um, both Father's Day and Mother's Day were begun by Christian women, and it was meant to be celebrated in church. Isn't that amazing? I mean, remember when I went over Mother's Day, how that started? And once again, in church, and a Christian woman, a Christian very young woman at that point, and uh, it came into her heart to want to be honoring fathers. You know, it's amazing... um, I think a lot of us, we look back and we have so many different, you know, memories of our fathers and, and um, you know, it's just such an amazing... I mean, there are amazing things that um, that generation, you know, was able to do. I, I look at my brother Mike Kozachuk there and, and his father was escaping uh, communist oppression and um, how far did they walk, Mike? Yeah, and can you imagine that? And uh, Joe Kozachuk, Mike's dad, is uh, such a neat guy. I love him because he's my height, but that's not the only reason. And um, whenever he would greet me, he'd hug me and he'd pick me up, and I thought, wow, that's pretty awesome, you know. And um, but like my dad was a coal miner, and uh, in fact, the day I was born, he was uh, trapped underground in a mine. He was trapped for three days, and uh, it's such a weird. Uh, like time thing to see how everything has changed. And uh, I remember hearing the stories, of course, I don't remember it myself personally. But when I was born, my, we, we lived in Loomis Park. My father worked for Loomis Colliery. And when I was born, it was uh, January 25th, one of the snowiest days I was told that they'd had. And so Dr. Dotson couldn't get up the hill. The only time you saw a doctor back then was when the baby was ready to be born. That was it. <laughs> and so... The Dr. Dawson was stuck at the bottom of the hill, and uh, so all the men of Loomis Park went down, put him in an easy chair, and carried him up the hill for my delivery. And I, I weighed four pounds, and I was covered with red hair all over my body. And uh, I was told that my oldest brother, who's nine years older than me, when I was about six, month, six or seven months old, said to my mother, frankly, he looked like an orangutan when he was born, but... He's really, he's really kind of cute now. But, uh, you know, I, I, of course, have fond memories of my dad, and I remember going to number two shaft. That was the shaft he worked out of. And they would go down hundreds of feet underground, you know, deep mine coal, it was called, and pickaxe all day. In fact, uh, one year he had a, um, a serious case of rickets, which is a vitamin D deficiency. And that's the only vitamin that you get naturally from the sun. And he spent the whole winter never seeing the sun. He would go underground before the sun would come up, 
when he came out of the ground after the sun had already gone down. And the milk at that time wasn't fortified with vitamin D. And, uh, but he was a great guy. I mean, I can still remember him. His, I mean, we were poor. We didn't even have a car until I was, I don't know, 10, 12 years old. And, um, but he was always happy, loved us, kissed me till the day he died. And, um, you know, his big thrill for the week is he'd get a pack of, a five-pack of White Owl cigars. And he'd smoke them down and then set them aside. And then, uh, then he would put them in a corncob pipe and finish them. So you can smoke it right down. And uh, I'm not the only one. I know all of us uh, have very fond memories of our fathers. And, and um, it's, it's, I'm very thankful for a, a father who um, loved the Word of God and was always encouraging me, uh, especially towards the end of his life, to come to the Lord. He never saw the day I was saved in this life, but I'm sure he knows, and, and of course we'll have a great rejoicing in heaven. But he died uh, between my junior and senior year of college. And uh, it was kind of a tough time. But you understand how exciting it is to know that one day I will see him. And I will know him and he'll know me, just as Scripture says. How exciting. But of course, the most exciting Father's Day is Jesus Christ. I mean, he is the one who, who did it all. You talk about paying the price for his children, Jesus paid the full price for his children. Eternal life we have as a free gift. Now, we're in Leviticus chapter 3, and starting with verse 1, and let's pray for us. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done in our hearts and lives for the free gift of salvation that we possess simply because of your love and for no other reason. And as we study this portion on the tabernacle, Lord, I pray that it would just encourage us that as we look at these gifts that were offered at the gate, that it would show us the, the gift, the great gift that we have of salvation, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now, Father, prepare our hearts to receive your truth, your message, I pray in Jesus' name, Yeshua's name, amen and amen. You know, I can't encourage you enough. If you go online or you can get books. In fact, wait, Vi and I just got a new book in the tabernacle. And you have to understand, that tabernacle that was built in the wilderness, was, it was a salvation message of telling us all that Jesus Christ would come and do for us and how to approach through Jesus Christ and become you know, a child of God and go to heaven. I mean, a tabernacle is such a perfect illustration. You know, the scripture talks about in the Old Testament, it was a shadow of things to come. The tabernacle was a shadow of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Now consider this. All the material, all the material that the tabernacle was constructed of was earthly. You know, they didn't have dust come down from heaven or anything like that, or not even manna. I mean, it was all constructed of earthly material. And yet, the sacrifices that were made the outcome of it was that the giver would be deemed holy. The sacrifice was considered holy. The tabernacle was considered holy. Not by any of the physical material it was made of, or not even by the material sacrifice that the one was giving, but it was made holy because it was accepted by God. And the only reason any of us are holy is we're accepted by God. None of us have a holiness, an innate holiness of our own. 
we were accepted of the Lord. Therefore, we are holy. We are holy because he's holy. It's the only reason we have any means of holiness. And the thing we have to understand that um, any sacrifice that we give to the Lord has to be from the heart. It's never a matter of how much it is or what it is, but is it from our heart? Because what we give to the Lord from our heart is our best. And when we give him our best, not someone else's best, but our best, then God receives it and accepts it as a sacrifice that atones for uh, you know, all the mistakes and all the errors that we've made. You know, like there's a sacrifice of confessing. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's always him from beginning to end. We did nothing to reach up to God. He reached down to us. And no one else can do anything for us. It's something that we have to do on our own. And that's why I I said at this one point, it's not someone else's sacrifice. It has to be our sacrifice. You see, you have some people that go to churches and they think the, the guy standing up front, you know, the priest, the pastor, the minister, the rabbi, whoever it might be, the person standing up front, they're the ones that are doing it for me. They can't do anything for you. You have to do it on your own. It has to be from your heart, giving of yourself to God. Lord, here I am. Use me. And there's not a greater sacrifice that we can give um, to the Lord. What a beautiful thing it is. Now we're in Leviticus, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1. When his offering is sacrificed of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, in other words, he's talking about cattle, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. <clears throat> excuse me. And he shall lay his hands on the head of his sacrifice and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meetings. Now notice... There's a very specific place the sacrifice was to be made, at the front door of the tent of meetings. Not the back door, not the side door, not underneath, not coming over from the top, but at the door. And we have to realize there is a proper way to enter into God's presence. It's through the door of Jesus Christ. You can't go any other door. You can't take the door of religion. You can't take the door of self-righteousness. You can't take the door of humanism or someone else's knowledge, that means nothing. Anyone who enters in that way, we're going to find, is considered a thief and a robber. You can't steal God's salvation. He's God. You have, to, you have to enter through the front door, and we're going to find that that door is Jesus Christ. And only in Jesus Christ is anyone saved. Only in Jesus Christ. Well, they were a good person. Well, I'm sure they were in human terms. But if a person is not born again, they will not see the kingdom of heaven. And that's the reason that we should be so motivated, brothers and sisters, as believers, to be evangelists. We're around people all the time who might be great and wonderful people. But if they're not saved, they don't have what is the most important thing, eternal life. You know, it was interesting, uh, uh, yesterday, Frank and I and, and his kids, were um, we went out to eat, and uh, Vi and, and uh, Nikki were doing something else, and so we went out to eat, 
because we didn't know how to make our own meal. Um, that wasn't the real reason, but we went out to eat. We ran into a woman from our church, and uh, like in her family, they've had like an amazing thing, like within the past five weeks, like four or five deaths. It's just amazing. And so um, I, you know, just ran into them there, and, and they stopped me, and we talked at the table a little bit, and, and um, this woman from our church, her brother-in-law, who's, who's, uh, was her father and mother, his father and mother, I can't remember, just, just died. They just got through going through everything. And he said to me, he said, at least we have the assurance of knowing where she is and that we'll see her one day. What's, the, what's a greater gift and prize than that? What will a man give for his life? You understand what I'm saying? And the reality is <clears throat> we spend so much time being concerned about the things of this life that we take our focus off the one thing that's important. Now, I understand as human beings, we have to live. Do you know what I'm saying? You have to work to make a living. You know, there are, are some things that we do for our enjoyment. And the Bible says he's given us all things for our enjoyment. So there are certain things we do that are fun for our, and, and our enjoyment. But you want to know something? The most important thing is our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking of this before church started, and I think of weird things because I'm a weird guy, but, and I was thinking, um, I know a little bit about medicine, but I'm not a doctor. I know a little bit about dentistry, but I'm not a dentist. I know a little bit about engineering, but I'm not an engineer. You get the point. In other words, we can know a little bit about something, but unless we had really committed ourselves, really committed ourselves to studying and learning that particular you know, um, mass of knowledge and information and skill, we're not going to achieve being a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, a dentist. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to achieve any of those things. That has to be your focus. But here's the difference with being a Bible believer. You can't look at me and say, well, I know a little bit about the Bible, but I'm not a pastor. That's not the case. You should know every single bit as much about the Bible as I do. And the reality is, you can. It's right here. Study to show yourself approved, to work when correctly handling the word of truth, needing not be ashamed. It's right here. You can know the scriptures every bit as well as I do. And here's the point. We have things at our fingertips now that are amazing. In fact, Vi and I were talking about this the other day, and some of you young people might not even know what I'm talking about, but when I first started preaching, my initial uh, preaching or my initial study was done on a canary pad. Do you guys even know what a canary pad is? And a number two pencil, you might know that from doing you know, your scan cards, but a number two pencil, and I had a pencil sharpener on my back window, sharpened my pencil. And I had walls of books. And so all of my study was done that way. And then when I had my initial study done, I would take those papers, and I had a, I was going to say a Smith & Weston, but that's a gun. What was the typewriter? It was in the head of Smith Corona. I had a Smith Corona typewriter, maybe a Smith & Weston too. But I had a Smith & Weston typewriter, that had a ribbon in it, you young people. 
It had a, did I say Smith & Wesson again, Smith Corona? But it had a ribbon in it that had to be changed. Do you guys, any of you remember that? And part of it was black and part of it was red. So if you hit the one key, you could lift it up to red. And it wasn't electric. As hard as you hit, that's how dark it printed. And that's how I, I did, did all my messages. Now, I don't need, I mean, I have certain books because I like to use certain books. I don't need any books. I have a library 100,000 times larger than I ever had in my study on my computer. I can look up anything and find out about it. And that's what I'm encouraging you guys to do. I want you to become theologians. <laughs> I want you to become experts in, in the scriptures. And when we're covering certain things, I mean, you go in and you just type up tabernacle. You know, the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, you've got to be careful, and that's where you have to be Bereans and compare everything to the Word of God because there's a lot of junk out there, a lot of real junk. But there's so many things you can read that are so helpful. And In fact, last night we found this um, book that was given to us by Grace Wilcox. And uh, some of you, a few of you know who she is. And it was uh, Jesus in the Tabernacle. And the, the book's old. I don't know how old it is, but it's really old. And you open it up, and it's um, through the Bible ministry. It's actual notebook pages that were made to put into a little notebook. It's so amazing to recognize the correlation between the tabernacle and Jesus Christ and the way that we can go from being in that, um, you know, being in the camp, not even knowing Jesus, going through the door into the outer court, making the proper sacrifice of salvation, being washed clean by the brazen altar, going into the holy place, and being able to be filled with the light of the Holy Spirit and eat the spiritual food of God and make insensual, incense prayers up to God, go into the holy of holies by his mercy seat and be in fellowship and communion and direct relationship with him. Wow. See, we have the tabernacle in our heart. We can be in absolute communion with God. Do you ever think about the fact that one of the uh, attributes, and when I was uh, studying for the ministry, there's, um, you can't even believe all the attributes they have, but one of the attributes is called the immensity of God because Scripture talks about that even the earth cannot contain him. I mean, God is, is far beyond our ability to even understand. He is, is more immense than the entire universe because he created the universe. It's the work of his hand. And yet God, for the children of Israel, was willing to pinpoint himself as a pillar of fire in the tabernacle between the cherubim of the mercy seat that his presence might be known. And this same God, in all of his immensity, is willing to pinpoint himself as a pillar of fire in our hearts personally by the Holy Spirit because of his grace and mercy. How amazing is that? You are able to personally know God through Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing. Now, I don't know where I left off. <laughs> but anyway, um, <clears throat> I, I was talking about uh, you can't go by the back door by any door. And then it goes on to say, And Aaron's sons, the priests, this is verse 2, And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. 
And uh, this was a sacrifice that was given, and it's for the atonement of the sins of the person. Then he shall uh, offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the eternal, the in, uh, internals, and all the fat that is on the internals, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them uh, by the flanks, and the fatty lobe uh, attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. Talk about being exact. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the, uh, on the altar upon the burnt sacrifices, which is on the wood that is on the fire as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. In his offering as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is if his, uh, I'm sorry, if his, uh, his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock. Now he's talking about sheep, from cattle to sheep. Because God understands that some people might have cattle, some people have sheep. He understands what we're able to offer. He wants what we have to give to him fully. And to give him our best is what's being talked about here. Whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as an offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hands on the head of the offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. Now notice, it says... In both these cases, whether it's cattle or the flock, male or female, it made no difference whether it was male or female as long as it was without blemish. That's all. And um, one of the things, of course, that it should speak to us is God isn't concerned about our sex, whether we're male or female. What he's concerned about is us offering him our best. That's what he's concerned about. Go to Galatians chapter 3 with me, please. Galatians chapter 3, and go to verse 28. And I'm going to read verses 28 and 29. Galatians chapter 3, and verses 28 and 29. Starting with verse 28 of Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Listen. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you understand that the Word of God makes it clear there's no separation between men and women. We're one. Now, what has happened over the centuries is people confuse the fact that there are very definite scriptures that are given in relationship to a husband's responsibility, and there are very definite scriptures that are given in relationship to a wife's responsibility. But somehow that got morphed in a wrong way where it put men up here and women down here. That was never meant to be. Whether it's male or female, in both cases, whether it's from the herd or the flock, it doesn't make any difference whether it's male or female, but it has to be our best. And so one of the things that's an encouragement here is that we have to realize that each one of us, whether we're men or women, we each have a responsibility to offer God our best. You're not going to go to heaven, ladies, because your husband's a good Christian. 
Husbands, you're not going to go to heaven because your wife's a good Christian. Children, you're not going to heaven because your parents are good Christians. We're going to heaven because each one of us individually, personally, has offered God our best. We've offered him our all. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Remember that verse? Here I am, Lord. Use me. That's the best sacrifice we can make. Now, it talks about laying your hands on the sacrifice as it was killed. And understand what that means. When you lay your hands on the sacrifice... Now, I wish I had the picture up here, but you had the, the curtains of the tabernacle, okay? And this is from the camp, from the world. And you go through and leave the world, and you go to the outer court, and that's where the priest would meet you. And then you would lay your hands on the sacrifice as they split his throat is actually how they bled it. And you're laying your hands on the head as it was sacrificed, it was your thanksgiving offering and your guilt offering at the same time. What is your thanksgiving for? The fact that you're forgiven. Why are you forgiven? Because you're guilty. And so laying your hands, you're identifying with this sacrifice. I deserve this. It is my blood that should be shed. But this lamb or this you know, cow is, is sacrificing for my, Their blood is being sacrificed on my behalf. And so we have to realize that um, we have a lamb of God who, just like the children of Israel, they laid their uh, hands on his head and he was, and that sacrifice, that lamb was sacrificed for them. Our lamb of God was sacrificed for us. And we need, need to lay our hands on his head in the sense of identifying with him and saying, thank you, Jesus, because I'm a sinner. I'm the one who deserves to die. I'm the one who deserves to be cast out of the sight of God. But thank you, Jesus, you atone for me. Do you understand what kind of love that is? Jesus was perfect in all his ways. He had no sin. He had no reason to die. But because of his love for us, he did. And I love the portions in the Gospel of John, if you want to turn there, chapter 1, it's easy to find. And there's two different places that John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. And first, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in verse 29, and remember John was out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey and clothed in camel's hair, and, and he was baptizing people. We think of baptism as just being a Christian thing. It goes way back in the Old Testament. People were baptized as well. And in uh, John, chapter 1, in verse 29, it says this, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, and in your Bible, that should be in quotes with a big exclamation point. Because it's not like, hey, look, behold. It's, behold! I mean, it's excitement. Behold, look, look. That's what he's saying there. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then, again, if you move down to verse 35, and I'm going to read verses 35 and 36, now, he did this one day. Now, this is the next day. Again, the next day, John uh, stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. All in quotation marks with an explanation point. Behold, the Lamb of God. Well, how amazing that would be. Can you imagine 
his John's disciples and the people that were there were thinking, what does this mean? What is this about? I'm sure they didn't fully understand it, but John did. Because we have to understand, if we don't recognize our need for forgiveness, why would we seek a Redeemer? Because the first step in forgiveness is seeing our need for forgiveness, for atonement. Because if there's no atonement, there's no remission of sin, and therefore we die in our sin. And if we die in our sin, we're separated from God for all eternity. So one of the first things that needs to happen is conviction, is to recognize that we're sinners. You know, there are so, you know it, it, it hurts my heart. You know, sometimes I'll be talking to people, and I'll, and I'll say, uh, uh, do you know if you knew the Lord? Oh, he was a good person. He was a good person. Did you know if she knew the Lord? Oh, she was just an angel. She was a wonderful person. And that really so concerns me because I think oftentimes that is our attitude. If a person is a really good person, oh, they don't have any need for Jesus Christ. They don't have any need for salvation. You have to understand there are a lot of good people according to the world's standards who at this moment are in hell. And so we have the message of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and that's the reason we should make every opportunity to share our faith. Well, people are going to think I'm crazy. So? So what? Well, if I, if I get all Christian, people aren't going to like me. They probably don't like you anyway. So, <laughs> You know what I mean? If you're a good person... Anyway, um, notice the sacrifice that was offered at the door. It was offered at the door of the tabernacle. It was offered at the door of the tabernacle. Now listen to this in the Gospel of John, chapter ten, verse one. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. And then, if you go down to verses seven and nine, then Jesus said to them again. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me um, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so this would have been revolutionary to what the people were hearing. I mean, they thought it was all about sacrifices, going to the door of the tabernacle, laying their hands on, you know, on, on their sacrifice and it being slaughtered and blood being poured and, and so forth. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm the door where, and, and I'm also the sacrifice and I'm also the way. I'm also the one who will take you in. I'm also the one who will atone for your sin. I'm the high priest. I'm all in all, is what Jesus was saying. Because his... Christ's blood, his sacrifice, only had to be offered up once. The high priest had to offer sacrifices over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, I won't read these, but if you want to write them down, in Romans 6, 10 through 11, Hebrews 7, 26 through 28, and Hebrews 9, 12 through 13. And now I'll just read the... Um, Hebrews 9, uh, verse 12. 
Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Once for all. And when it says for all, it doesn't mean for all time. It means for all people. He entered there once for us, for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Brothers and sisters, you understand what that means? It means our redemption isn't just for a moment. Yeah, we're going to go and we're going to be with Jesus for a little while. It's eternal. How do we understand eternity? We can't. Because everything that we try to understand eternity with is a time signature. What is eternity? Eternity is a lot of time. Eternity is time never running out. No. Eternity is the dwelling place of God, Scripture tells us. Eternity is completely outside of time, space, and matter. It's beyond what we can understand. But it's eternal redemption. We're going to have this kind of perfect relationship with God and with one another for all eternity. Can you imagine standing around the throne of God and praising Him with all inhibitions gone, abandoning ourselves before God and worshiping Him? That's the promise we have. Now, this peace offering that was offered... Shamlamri in the in the Hebrew, and it literally means combined with thanksgiving. So it's a peace offering between you and God, but it's also combined with thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. The only reason I can make this peace offering is because you paid the full price. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me peace with you. And then in Ephesians chapter two, verses fourteen through eighteen, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. You and I can go right into the Holy of Holies. We can go right in the presence of God. How do I get into the presence of God? Just, just be in the presence of God. Every time you bow your, your head in prayer, you're in the presence of God. Any time you, you consider Him, contemplate Him, worship Him, read His Word, you're in the presence of God. Verse 15, having abolished in His flesh... The enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. In other words, not just to those of you who are alive right now, Jesus wasn't preaching peace, but those afar off. We're the afar off people. He's still preaching his peace to us, to you and I. Verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Right to the Father. How amazing is that? You see, peace with God signifies reconciliation. We have access to God. We have access to God, so we need to take time to contemplate all that that means, all that that means to you and I. We have access. He's right there. And remember that a peace offering was a voluntary tribute of gratitude for all that man has, not what he has, but for all that man has. That's our thanksgiving and our peace offering to God. And you're thinking, what are you talking about there? Well, let me help you understand what I mean. For all that man has, not what he has, but all that he has. In other words, 
I don't have riches, gold and silver and fame and wealth and all this other stuff. I don't even have youth anymore. But man, I have so much. I don't know how many times Vi and I have sat together and just thanked God for what we have. Look at what we have. We have a church family that loves us. You know, we have so much. So much that is not tangible, nothing that you necessarily can lay your fingers on, but we have so much. And that's what we thank God for. Not for possessions and not for wealth and fame and all that, but for what we have. And the greatest treasure that you and I have is that we're his treasure. You know, the pearl of great price, and the owner went out and sold everything he had to buy the field. We used to think that that's how we purchased Jesus, and Jesus was the pearl of good price. But then if you really study it, you find out what that parable is talking about, is Jesus paid, and you know he went out and he sold everything he had. He gave his life to purchase us. We are his pearl of great price, and therefore the greatest gift we have, the greatest treasure we have, is that we're his pearl, that we're his, that he loved us that much. So we might not have a lot of things, but we have him. You know, there's an old song, um, probably uh, Nick and Annette are the only ones in here, maybe, maybe you guys would too, that would remember this. Uh, uh, the Hip Parade, remember that? Zell McKenzie and you, know, you, you young people have no idea what I'm talking about. But there was a show on TV. It was sponsored by Lucky Strikes Hit Parade. And um, what they did is they, they had a, a cast of singers. And so every week they would sing the ten most popular songs. You know, that was called the Hit Parade. It was on every week. And I remember one of the songs I used to love was, and I don't remember the whole song, but it, I remember it started off by, I don't have a barrel of money. I might be ragged and funny. But we travel along just singing a song side by side. Through all kinds of weather, no matter if the sky should fall, as long as we're together, it doesn't matter at all. And as a believer, I always think about that with Jesus. I might not have a barrel of money. It might be ragged and funny. But I'm traveling along singing a song with my Jesus. And even if the sky should fall, no matter what happens, as long as we're side by side, it really doesn't matter at all. It's all Jesus. It's in him. And Well, think about this. First off, it's by him, in him, and through him that we're able to do anything, that we're able to have this kind of peace with God. So when you think about that offering being sacrificed at the door going into the holy place, at the tabernacle of God, think about Jesus Christ and think about the fact that he did it for us and that we now have peace with God. I mean, it just blows my mind when you think that only the high priest and only once a year after he had made atonement for his own blood, Scripture tells us, could he enter into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the people. And you and I can walk into the Holy of Holies any time we want, as many times in a day as we want, by the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood was sacrificed for our sin and for our atonement, and for our redemption, and for our justification, that we can go and stand before God and say, Thank you, Jesus. I worship you, Lord. He's, he's there. He's real. He's more real than the breath you take. The things which are seen, they're not real. They're just shadows. But the things that are unseen are eternal. 
You know, you go to ancient digs like we'd go to Israel, and, and you see all these ancient digs, and you think, at one time, this was a thriving city. You see, those things which are tangible are just gone. But the Word of God stands forever. Father, we thank you for your Word and for the truth that we find in it, and I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use what we have studied this morning to encourage us in our walk with you. And we give you thanks, Lord, for all things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And it's such a beautiful introduction to our um, communion service because communion is a gift that um, Jesus Christ gave us as a reminder of all that he did. Now, he didn't give it to us as a reminder like this. I just want you guys to remember. He gave it to us as, I want you to remember what I've done for you. I want you to remember all my love for you. You know, like I, this morning I got up and I go in the bathroom and Vi had this beautiful Father's Day card for me. I mean, it was the most beautiful Father's Day card I'd ever read. And I read it and I'm thinking, it's a reminder to me of how much my wife loves me. And it really blessed me. I mean, it really blessed me. When we take communion, it's a reminder of how much we love Jesus. That's what it's about. And that's why he said, as often as you, you know, eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. That's why we put that on a communion table. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? Well, we know he died for our sins. We know he rose for our justification. We know he ascended for our eternal redemption. And we know that he's going to call us to be with him again. But brothers and sisters, do you know what the greatest thing is for us to remember? His love for us. He sacrificed everything. First, he condescended and became a man. I mean, understand, here you have the, the, this omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, immense God. And came the flesh, a little baby. And for no other reason that we might be redeemed back to himself. What love, what amazing love. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this, um, this sacrifice that you performed in our behalf and for this sacrament that you have given us to remember that all you have done. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive it in faith and with great joy and gladness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is a sacrament, sacrament of communion that Jesus Christ gave to us as his church to share. It's serious. And it's serious in the sense that we recognize for he wants us to know how much he loves us. You realize it's all about love. He is trying to share with us and to encourage us every time we take communion. My children, I paid it all. My body was broken. My blood was shed. Because I love you. No other reason. I love you, and I want you to be with me for all eternity. That's what Jesus did. Therefore, please take, eat, and drink, and be so thankful. Thank you, Lord, for this sacrament. Thank you for your word. And I pray that you bless this sacrament to our spiritual's health and understanding. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you, my friends.